WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Good morning. It is Wednesday, August 9th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sunshine today, just a beauty. A little bit warmer than it has been. High 87. Tonight, overnight, clear, low 7. 71, and then Thursday morning sun, chance of an afternoon thunderstorm, high 82. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 70 clear in Oyster Bay out on Long Island, 66 clear down in Dover, New Jersey, and it is 70 and clear here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. Uh, lots of people playing the Mega Millions jackpot yesterday over the last couple weeks for that matter. The jackpot Last night, $1.5 billion, a winning ticket was sold. So it's going to go back down to whatever the original lowest jackpot, I guess, can be. Uh, the winning ticket sold in Florida. So chances are you didn't win. I mean, chances are you weren't going to win, even if it was sold in New York, for that matter. And I've always heard this. This is always the talk is like, well... If you win, your life is ruined, you're miserable. And I always think, no, if I won, this would be great, you know. And I did like 90 seconds of research to sort of back up this argument that your life becomes miserable. And it is amazing. There are not 20 stories of misery of people who've won the lottery. There are not 100 stories. There are thousands of stories of people who have won lottery jackpots over the years whose lives have become just a total and complete mess and you think oh i'll be the one who'll be able to handle 1.5 billion dollars but then you read these stories so there's a guy james hayes he was an overnight security guard he won 19 million dollars that's a pretty decent payday right uh he his wife took half of the money and left him. Uh, he d- gets a heroin habit. It costs him $1,000 a week in the heroin habit. Uh, just a couple years later, completely broke from $19 million. Uh, he ends up robbing banks because he no longer has any more money to support his habit. Spends 33 months in prison. That's just one guy. Then, uh, do you remember this guy? This is one of the more famous lottery guys, Lou Eisenberg. Back in 1981, he won $5 million in New York Lotto. I mean, that was a huge sum, of course, in 1981. He retired early from being a handyman where he installed light bulbs and did stuff like that. And he said, you know, I want to lavish this money on my friends. And he did. And then he bought himself a beachfront condo. He traveled the world with his wife. So he did some fun stuff. But sure enough, just a few years later, completely broke, gone, all $5 million. That was 1981, where $5 million was a whole lot more than $5 million is today. And um, at last track, I don't even know that he's still around, but last track, he was living in a mobile home in Florida, getting by on Social Security at 1800 bucks a month. So, uh, And I could go on and on. But I will tell you one story that I saw up front. A guy I worked with in one of my first jobs out of college showed up to work one day and he said, I won the lottery. And he bought the entire floor lunch. And then he said, I'm going to go back to my native Philippines. And I think he had won about 10 or 15 million dollars. I'm going to go back to my native Philippines for a vacation and then I'll be back. So he jetted off to the Philippines. And about a day or two later, he emailed 
uh, that he had resigned from the company and that he was going to stay in the Philippines because I imagine ten fifteen million dollars in the Philippines was like a bi- you know he was a billionaire. And uh, I think he's living a happy life. No cocaine habit, no losing all the money for him. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. The search for sharks continues in the Rockaways. More buses of migrants roll into the city overnight. Port Authority employees don't want to pay that congestion pricing toll. A Nevada family attacked on an F train wants to meet the teens who carried out the crime. And an Upper East Side dog owner fighting back against some evil pets. All right, let's get into it. 504, we'll start with the migrants. Five buses rolling into the Port Authority filled with migrants from the U.S.-Mexico border between yesterday and 6 this morning. In fact, I think all five might be here already. We weren't able to confirm that, but five were on the way, that is for sure. And this comes as New York City trying to find more space to house these migrants. The new emergency relief center, Randall's Island, for those arriving from the southern border. Uh, the city running out of space. Mayor Adams says this tent city on Randall's Island will house about 2,000 migrants in all. When we built Randall's Island last year, we had 15,000 migrants, asylum seekers. 15,000. We're now at 97,000. So this tent city on Randall's Island will be paid for by the state. So the New York City's not on the hook for this. And so if he determines the space that he's using must be used, that's the space we're going to use because I, I trust him and I trust the team that they put together. We had lots of pushback because this tent city is going to go on some soccer fields where kids like to play soccer. Uh, adults do, for that matter. When we built Randall's Island, Last year, we have and so if he determines the space that he's using must be used, that's the space we're going to use because I I trust him and I trust the team that they put together. I think he already said that. But uh, so uh, then there's uh, the buses that are going to be sent full of migrants to Creedmoor, which is the old psychiatric hospital in Queens, setting up an area there for the migrants. Last night, big protest against that from neighbors in Queens who say, hey, these are unvetted migrants. We don't know where they're coming from. And now you're putting them in our neighborhood. We don't know who our kids are going to be surrounded. They can sit anywhere. Our kids aren't going to be protected. Yeah, uh, and uh, boy, there was a few more than a few hundred people at this thing yesterday. We have a thousand to three thousand unvetted individuals coming into our community from God only knows where. I think city should do something about it, but not in the residential areas. Yeah, and then there's talk about using Floyd Bennett Field, about using a former senior center out on Staten Island, and I imagine there's going to be protests there today as well. We'll follow all of these. By the way, there were people who did show up at this protest in Queens yesterday near Creedmoor Psychiatric Hospital who say, hey, by the way, keep bringing the migrants in. They're all in favor of this. It's very xenophobic, and it's very sorry to a community um, that really welcomes new people here, and there are new immigrants coming to New York City, and especially Queens every day. Yeah, well, so more of them showed up. Again, five buses coming between yesterday afternoon and they said six this morning full of migrants from the U.S.-Mexico border. Boy, what a mess. WABC News Time 509. Let's go out to the 2024 White House campaign trail. Former President Trump campaigning in New Hampshire yesterday, telling just a huge crowd that he needs one more indictment in his words, and this election is over. He got indicted for nothing. Can you imagine a guy? Let's indict my opponent. This uh, this is a sick 
This is a third. This becomes a third world country. Massive crowd waiting for hours in the rain to hear the former president. He says President Biden is weaponizing the Department of Justice against him. One more indictment that I think this election's over. We're at 59 percent and the others are at like 12. One is at 12. I think that's the sanctimonious. Yeah. So uh, the president saying former president says uh, he thinks this whole primary season's over. He's going to run away with it. They talked about it, but nobody ever did it. Never to this extent and ordered his top political opponent, me, arrested. Talking about uh, President Biden there, uh, the former president saying that the DOJ has been weaponized against him. Also on the campaign trail in New Hampshire yesterday, Republican presidential hopeful Nikki Haley feel like we haven't heard a lot from her, but she's calling for term limits and a competency test for elderly lawmakers. These are people making decisions on our national security. These are people making decisions about the future of our economy. We need to know they're at the top of their game. Haley says there needs to be mental competency tests for politicians over the age of 75. So that would, by the way, be both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. The former South Carolina governor also taking a swipe at President Biden, saying the test should include simple questions like, how many grandkids do you have? A reference, of course, to Biden's recent acknowledgement of his seventh grandchild. We have to have term limits in this country. We need mental competency tests for anyone over the age age of 75. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to sit with senior citizens. Sort of interesting play on her part. These aren't complicated. It's say four words that start with the same letter. It's what town were you born? How many grandkids do you have? All right. Well, it's one way to make an inroad in this race for the White House. 5-11. These shakeups continue inside the campaign team of Republican presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis now. The Florida governor is moving his chief of staff at the Capitol over to his campaign team, putting James Uffmeyer in charge. It's just the latest shakeup in the DeSantis campaign that recently slashed its staff in an effort to save money. Uthmeyer's predecessor will remain with the DeSantis campaign as a strategist. Poll numbers show DeSantis remains a persistent and distant second place to GOP frontrunner, former President Donald Trump. Rory O'Neill, Orlando. President Biden, he was in Arizona yesterday taking action to protect nearly one million acres around the Grand Canyon. First time I saw the Grand Canyon, as I stood there and looked out, a phrase came to mind. It was instinctive. I said, this must be, this is God's cathedral. Yeah, you've never been. It really feels that way. During a visit to Arizona yesterday, the president designating the area a national monument. The move protects land sacred to Native Americans in that region, permanently bans uh, new uranium mining I'm there. I'm proud to use my authority under the Antiquities Act to protect one, almost one million acres of public land around Grand Canyon National Park. Preserving these lands is good. Not only for Arizona, for the planet. It's good for the economy. It's good for the soul of the nation. The uh, designation part of the president's plan to conserve 30 percent of U.S. land and waters by 2030. Let's go down to Texas. Members of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus touring the Texas-Mexico border. They're getting a look at the so-called floating border wall that is controversial. I'm calling on the Biden administration to end all cooperation between Customs and Border Protection and the Texas Department of Public Safety except for that which protects the health and safety of asylum seekers. Democratic Congressman Joaquin Castro says the system of buoys bobbing in the Rio Grande are dangerous and cruel. At least until ongoing investigations can be completed into human and civil rights violations. 
And he says those buoys are not stopping border crossings, but I think the Texas governor would tell you otherwise. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has launched a barbaric campaign of cruelty against migrants. So there is a newly filed lawsuit. It claims those buoys deployed without authorization. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has defended the use, saying the state has the right to protect its borders. 514, let's go overseas. Russia being accused of carrying out what's being called an evil attack in Ukraine. Russia firing a missile at an apartment building full of civilians in eastern Ukraine, then fired another missile at the people who responded to that attack. At least seven people killed, including some rescue workers. Richard Engel has the latest. President Zelensky denounced the new attacks. He hasn't stopped giving his usual nightly addresses and is staying high profile. The attack coming just as reports had surfaced that Russia was plotting to assassinate Ukraine President Zelensky. But it's yet another sign that this war is entering uncharted territory as it escalates out of the region and away from the trenches. Yeah, just uh, awful there. 5.15 now. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Good morning. Happy Hump Day, Justin Ellis. Good morning. Happy Hump Day to you, Nome Layden. Following two straight losses, the Yanks are back in the win column after a 7-1 beatdown of the White Sox in Chicago last night. A four-run fourth inning paired with an eighth-inning two-run blast from Kyle Higashioka put this one out of reach before Big Aaron Judge. Put the finishing touches on things with his 21st round tripper of the year. And the payoff. Oh, fly ball. Deep left. Benintendi back. On the track. At the wall. See ya. Home run judge. And the Yankees lead 7-1. That call courtesy of the Yes Network. The Yanks will try and steal a series win in the finale with the White Sox tonight. Set for an 8-10 p.m. first pitch. New York has yet to name a starter to go up against Chicago's Mike Clevenger. For the Mets and Queens, they weren't as lucky, falling 3-2 to two to the Cubs in the middle game of a three-game set. Chicago home runs from Bellinger and Talkman were enough to put the Mets away as both teams get set for the series finale tonight at 7.10 p.m. David Peterson will take the hill against Chicago's Kyle Hendricks. And new news in the world of sports gambling, Gnome, to get to as well. ESPN has signed a licensing deal with Penn Entertainment to create ESPN Bet, a sportsbook for the United States sports viewers. Penn will rebrand its current sportsbook to ESPN Bet later this fall. Wow, that took them a long time to come to do that, right? Everybody else is cashing in, ESPN waiting. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know... Given their uh, their brand and how big it is and how vast, maybe it, it takes a while for. I wonder. Now, let me just ask the dopey, stupid question, sure, if you don't ahead. mind. Yeah. That all this betting is going to uh, seep into the sports, into these guys on the field, and we're going to have another deal, like you know, where these guys are doing something to change the course of the game mm-hmm. so they can make some money. It has to. Well, no? you know, you've already seen uh, a, a few people, at least in the NFL. Get suspended yes. over uh, over fantasy gambling, you know, fantasy football gambling. I mean, they've always fantasy football has always been a thing among players in the NFL, but gambling on it—that's the issue. And uh, and then you know these players have FanDuel accounts and they have uh, Caesars accounts and they log onto these things thinking that there's no repercussions, but I guess apparently there is. If there are, if there has been a line that's been drawn in the sand, I'm not even really sure if there has been. I the guess whole, it's always been around, but I just feel like it's going to get worse. Well, now. the whole thing has just exploded so quickly that you could be right. Yeah. You know, we might not be prepared for how big this uh, this sports betting industry might be getting. So we'll see that later this fall in 16 states, the ESPN bet where it is licensed. Rebranding uh, will include. A mobile app, website, mobile website, and mutually agreed upon retail locations. And the deal, no, worth $1.5 billion in cash over a 
years. Speaking of football, you got preseason football to look forward to later on this week. Giants are at the Lions in Detroit on Friday night, and the Jets on Saturday afternoon will take on the Panthers in Carolina. Sports on 77 WABC with Justin Ellick. WABC News Time 520. Let's go overseas. U.S. officials hopeful a military takeover in Niger can be reversed. There was a diplomatic path forward for them if they would choose a return to constitutional order. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller, they're telling reporters a senior U.S. official had been in talks with the military leader there. They were very difficult conversations, achieve any breakthroughs, and it's not at all clear that they will choose the diplomatic path forward. There would be consequences if they didn't, that there are hundreds of millions of dollars of U.S. assistance at stake. Yeah, so uh, Nigerian President Mohamed Bazoum was arrested along with his family, if you haven't been following the story, and a general was declared head of state last month, so chaos there, at least for the short term in Niger. 521, let's bring it back home out to California. A family wants justice after a 14-year-old was found inside the barracks at Camp Pendleton in California. She's doing as well as you can in such a traumatic event. She's okay. That's all I could say. That's Cassandra Perez talking to reporters about a Marine who raped her niece. She says no one's being held accountable. She says investigators at NCIS need to be more transparent. The website justicefornativekids.com launched with more than 7,000 people signing this petition, demanding a prompt, thorough, impartial investigation. The 14-year-old apparently went missing back on June 10th. Police found her on June 28th. Military police did take a Marine into custody for questioning, but so far no charges have been filed. 521, COVID uh, hospitalizations are up for the second straight week in a row. According to the CDC, the number of people being hospitalized for the virus surged by more than 12%. But in nearly half of the U.S., the spike is much higher. Many states across the country saw more than a 20% increase. New Hampshire had the biggest in a single week at 96%, almost doubling the previous week's number. I'm Trey Thomas. Let's go down to Texas school back underway in a lot of Texas and a growing number of districts are moving to a schedule now where kids only go to school four days a week. The problem is teacher staffing shortages, which has been a problem ever since COVID as people retired in mass. And so some districts in Texas, the way they're getting around this is a four-day school week. They don't have the funding to offer the sorts of pay and benefits to attract and retain teachers. That's Mark Wiggins with the Association of Texas Professional Educators, he thinks this trend to a four-day school week will grow, and you'll see other states doing the same thing, save some money, and as they try to find teachers uh, to replace the ones that are retiring or leaving the profession altogether. The Texas legislature started with a $33 billion historic budget surplus this year and ended the session decreasing per-student funding. We're in this scenario where, despite being flush with cash, these districts are literally starving, and they're having to get creative in order to keep from closing classrooms. And, boy, it's not just in Texas, you hear school districts all across the country complaining about this. 523, high home prices have more than half of Gen Z saying renter renting is now a better option for them than buying a home. Overall, 44% of renters surveyed by RealPage said renting is the way to go, citing affordability as the main reason. RealPage asked 2,000 multifamily renters under 55 with income up to $200,000. Nearly two-thirds replied that they were satisfied with their rental situation because it gave them more flexibility financially and freedom to move. 
Nearly three in four said renting is the reason they live in neighborhoods they otherwise would not be able to afford. I'm Mark Mayfield. American credit card balances crossing the $1 trillion threshold for the first time ever. This, according to the New York Fed, the year-over-year increase of 16% brings the total consumer credit card debt load to $1.03 trillion. A bank rate senior analyst telling us that this is a major reversal of a pandemic-era trend. Early in the pandemic, there was this big groundswell of people paying down credit card debt. Well, since then, balances are up 34%. And I think this really just speaks to these trends of high inflation, high interest, rates, more people carrying more debt for longer periods of time. Yeah, majority of credit card holders now have been in debt for a year or more. The senior analyst from Bankrate, Ted Rossman, says that amounts to about 50 more 4 million people or 60 percent of all credit card holders in the country. This is why people say credit cards can be like power tools. They can be really useful or they can be dangerous. It just depends on how you use them. Yeah, and he says with interest rates in the 20s, a family can easily get buried by ever-increasing payments. A new obesity drug could cut the risk of heart attack and stroke. The drug is called Wagovi. Drug maker Novo Nordisk hasn't released the full findings of its trial, but says results are the first to demonstrate that a weight loss drug has medical benefits. If the study holds up, it could be compelling enough to get insurance companies to provide coverage for the medication, which costs $1,300 for a monthly supply. The findings were based on more than 17,000 overweight or obese adults ages 45 and older. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. No doubt some of those people got obese by eating bacon. Bacon prices going up, maybe you've noticed, and a California law might be to blame. Pigs need to have larger living space for their meat to be sold in California, and that's forcing pork producers around the country to adapt. The cost of a farmer to transition their traditional facility to that facility that's now required by California is $3,500 a sow. Yeah, that's a lot. Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau says the California buys so much pork that producers have to adapt to this law to stay alive. The Golden State accounts for about 15% of all domestic consumption of pork products like bacon. So if you've got a 4,000 sow farm, you're going to need to invest approximately $14 million to be compliant. And that's why you're paying more for bacon and things like that in the grocery store. Producers incurring those costs are going to have to pass on those costs to consumers. And we're seeing that at the store now. The opening bell rings this morning on Wall Street after stocks closed lower yesterday. That came after credit rating agency Moody's downgraded America's banking sector. As a result, banks like uh, M&T Bank and Pinnacle Financial fell sharply yesterday at the closing bell. The Dow lost 158 points. S&P 500 dropped 19. The Nasdaq gave up 110 points. Investors today are going to be keeping an eye out for earning results from Disney, while Thursday brings a look at July inflation with the release of the Consumer Price Index. We are just getting started on this early Wednesday morning. So much more to get to as we work our way up 6 o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning. The search for sharks continues in the Rockaways as we learn more about the woman who was bitten by a shark Monday evening. Port Authority employees don't want to have to pay that congestion pricing toll. We're telling you, we'll tell you what they're doing to try to stop that. A Nevada family attacked 
on an F train last week now wants to meet the teenagers who carried out the crime. And on the Upper East Side, dog owners fighting back against an evil German shepherd. We'll get into those stories and more, but first this at 530. The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 532. Good morning. It is Wednesday, August 9th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sunshine today, high 87. Tonight, overnight clear, low 71. And then Thursday morning. Sun, chance of afternoon thunderstorms, high 82. If you're walking out the door with us, and so happy you are, 70 clear in Oyster Bay out on Long Island, 66 and clear down in Dover in New Jersey. And it is 70 and clear here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour in the Rockaways. Rockaway Beach closed yesterday following New York City's first apparent shark attack in just decades. A 65-year-old woman was in the water Monday evening close to shore when a shark bit her leg. This is a tremendous uh, resource we have. Keep people busy. It's a beautiful beach. But the sharks were here first. So what are you going to do? It's their ocean. We live here. They live there. So... I don't think they should scare away the shock. Yeah, kind of like that guy. The New York City's Parks Department, NYPD, on patrol yesterday, keeping swimmers, surfers out of the water while the FDNY was conducting aerial surveillance to monitor for those sharks with drones. This latest shark attack comes, of course, after reported shark encounters on Long Island, five of them this summer. On Tuesday, yesterday, a shark was sighted near Breezy Point in Queens, about a mile and a half west of where the woman had been attacked. Also on Tuesday, much of Jones Beach, about 12 miles east of where this woman was bitten, was closed to swimming due to at least two shark sightings there. Was she bleeding prior to going in the water? Solid question. What would, like, bring them in closer? Well, just that and how much is there, like, what what kind of shark is it? Is it small? Is it big? Is it... Yeah, there were some surfers who were out in the Rockaways say they see sharks all the time, so they want to know what kind of shark bit this woman. Sometimes, yeah, they're like smaller, more aggressive sharks or like a blue shark. But if it she got a decent bite, it has to be like a, some size on the mouth. If it's a little guy, we're going in. If it's a big guy, we're not going in. Yeah, and then there were people who just showed up yesterday, of course, not knowing that the beach was shut. I think it's horrible. Um, it makes me think about going into the beach water at this point, you know, to know that somebody really got hurt here. Yeah, it's making lots of people nervous. So Tatiana Koltnik, I'm sure I'm butchering her last name here, but she was the one swimming about 50 feet from shore when the shark ripped roughly 20 pounds of flesh from her leg. I mean, this was really serious. Their lifeguards, by the way, were on duty when this happened. It was right at the end of the day. They heard her scream, pulled her from on the water. They wrapped a tourniquet around her leg as they rushed her to Jamaica Hospital, where she's in serious but stable condition. It's looking like, in this particular situation, uh, someone was swimming, minding their own business, and a shark was feeding, minding his own business, 
and the person got caught in the crossfire. Yeah, I mean, there's just a, a fair amount of eyewitnesses to this who say it was, you know, pretty horrific to watch the whole thing. I was shocked. And I... Well, I'm very sorry to know that she was bitten by the shark. Yeah, so the good news yesterday, when we were telling you this story, she was in critical condition. They now say that she's going to make a recovery. Don't know what's going to happen to her leg. Uh, I imagine we'll get details on that as the days wear on. In terms of whether the beach opened today, we're told it is. Uh, we'll follow this story, uh, even with some of those shark sightings yesterday. 535, out to Philadelphia, where family and friends were saying their goodbyes to the professional dancer from Philadelphia who was killed in Brooklyn just two weeks ago. The 28-year-old was dancing in front of a Brooklyn gas station with friends when he was stabbed to death by a 17-year-old who's behind bars today. They caught up with him. O'Shea Sibley's middle school dance teacher was uh, one of the people who showed up at the funeral in Philadelphia yesterday, says he was granted a scholarship to the Philadelphia Dance Company when he was just 14 years old because he was so talented. His dedication and commitment to his craft, his joy in displaying his artistic ability will remain a beacon of light. For other young men and women. This funeral held at the Met in Philadelphia. The Philadelphia Cants Company says it will now create a scholarship fund in honor of Sibley. Words can't describe how I feel. I mean, this is really hard, but I know this is the day the Lord is and we shall rejoice. And I'm holding on. A lot of people showing up to this funeral. The NYPD, by the way, treating this as a hate crime, uh, Sibley Gay. They think this may be a gay hate crime. The 17-year-old in custody. Haven't heard much about him, but um, uh, here's more people at the funeral yesterday. In those dark times, there is always light. And that one light that everyone in this room feels is O'Shea. Yeah, just terrible moment at the gas station in Brooklyn, which is now last month. Uh, he was listening to Beyonce at the time when he was dancing. Beyonce doing a tribute to him during one of her concerts at MetLife over the weekend. WABC News Time 539, Staten Island, New Jersey, promising to mount lawsuits to try to stop the MTA's congestion pricing plan, that plan to charge drivers to drive below 60th Street in Manhattan. Uh, but uh, the MTA is moving on like this is going to happen. So yesterday, union heads calling on the MTA to give all Port Authority workers an exemption to congestion pricing for the lower part of Manhattan. The president of the Port Authority Sergeant Benevolence Association was among these union leaders who gathered yesterday to argue why thousands of their members should not have to pay this congestion toll. The MTA's financial struggles should not be solved on the backs of the essential workers who continue to get squeezed as a result of the MTA's mismanagement. They say many Port Authority workers don't have a mass transit option for work. It'll hurt the hardworking middle class who work for the Port Authority. But what about the financial harm that will be inflicted on the essential Port Authority workers whose pockets will be picked we can say that about a lot of New Yorkers and people coming in from New Jersey, Long Island. Congressman Anthony D'Esposito backing the call for the Port Authority workers to be some of the groups that get exemptions to congestion pricing. This plan, spoken like a true New Yorker, screws hardworking men and women who are trying to do the right thing.
Now, these union heads estimate the Port Authority could lose $125 million a year from congestion pricing because fewer vehicles will use their crossings. That's at least according to their study. We still don't know, by the way, who will be exempt and who will get those exemptions from that congestion pricing toll. But the MTA says it's moving forward with this plan to start the congestion pricing tolls as soon as the spring of next year. 541 out to New Jersey. New Jersey Transit locomotive engineers have not received a raise in almost four years. So the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen are taking a strike vote this month. The trainmen said they're the lowest commuter rail paid engineers in the nation. And they say New Jersey Transit has the money to pay them. And they point to the agency's decision recently to spend $440 million on new office space. They say that money could have been spent increasing their salaries. While we're in New Jersey, there was a candlelight vigil last night in New Brunswick by striking nurses at Robert Wood University Hospital. They're on, let's see, this might be day five already of their strike. The 1,700 nurses from USW Local 4200 rocking the picket line last night, lighting candles uh, on, well, today's day six, so last night was night five of the strike. I love being a nurse. It is all I've ever wanted to do. Ratios. That's the big story here is it's not the money, but they say the safe nurse to patient ratios are not there and that their nurses are given way too many patients and they need to work these details out. The nurses have been working without a contract since June 30th. The hospital has an offer on the table, which they claim satisfies staffing and salary demands, but the nurses say, no, no, it doesn't. In three and a half years of being a nurse, I've already experienced a pandemic and a strike. It's really a shock, but we're out here for our patients. The hospital also assuring patients today that medical care is not being compromised during this labor dispute. In fact, they had been training replacements when they knew this strike was coming. But here we are, day six of this strike against Robert Wood Johnson Hospital in New Brunswick. We'll bring it back here into New York. A new report says former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's sister led a smear campaign against the women who accused him of sexual harassment. The New York Times reports Madeline Cuomo worked under the radar for two years with the grassroots group We Decide New York to back her brother's accusers online. One tweet threatened to dissect Charlotte Bennett like a frog and included a so-called bimbo photo of the former Cuomo aide in a bar wearing lingerie. Thousands of texts, voicemails, and emails obtained by the Times show how Madeline secretly orchestrated the posts as well as provided talking points to WDNY members speaking to the media. Kristen Marks, NBC News Radio, New York. 543 out to Long Island, a Long Island mom who lost her 12-year-old daughter and her 11-year-old son in a horrific, tragic car crash on Long Island over the weekend, sharing her grief as details of what happened leading up to the crash start to service. Toshiba Hamilton lost her daughter Hannah and her son Jeremiah in the wreck on Sunrise Highway in Massapequa on Sunday. The father of the children, he was also killed in the crash outside the shopping center. Now, she found out about the accident from someone who witnessed it and took one of the kids' cell phones to call her and tell her about it. I was like, who is this? He said, your daughter and your family has been in an accident. And he said, I witnessed the whole thing. He said, you need to come fast. 
seems like it's really bad. Now, on top of those unthinkable losses, there's like, how much pain can one person take? Hamilton's 18-year-old daughter was in the car. So was her 5-year-old granddaughter. They are fighting for their lives today in the hospital with what are called extreme internal injuries, including a brain bleed from which they may never fully recover. I will never be the same. My other children will never be the same. My daughter, both my daughter and my granddaughter have a possibility of not walking and being disabled for life if they live. Yeah, the 32-year-old driver of the speeding vehicle that went into the back of that SUV and then crashed into a car in front of it before flipping over. Uh, they've caught up with this guy, and uh, the mom here says she'd like to talk that's to him. That's not going to bring my children back. That's, that's not. I don't, I don't believe he understands what he's done. There's no words for this, the pain that I am feeling. I am, I am breaking down in public everywhere I go because I still don't believe that my son and daughter and my husband are gone. Yeah, I mean, the story here is slow down. This guy was speeding. Uh, no charges have been filed yet in the crash, but they're coming. And uh, they'll be brutal, no doubt, but just awful to hear that story. All right, 545, let's head over to the 77WABC Sports Desk, and here's Justin O. Thank you, Noam Layden. Following two straight losses, the Yankees are back in the win column after a 7-1 beatdown of the White Sox in Chicago last night. A four-run fourth inning paired with an eighth-inning two-run blast for Magashioka. Put this one out of reach before Big Aaron Judge put the finishing touches on things with his 21st-round tripper of the year. And the payoff. That call courtesy of the Yes Network. Yanks will try and steal a series win in the finale with the White Sox tonight. Set for an 8-10 p.m. first pitch. New York has yet to name a starter to go up against Chicago's Mike Clevenger. For the Mets in Queens, they weren't as lucky, falling 3-2 to the Cubs in the middle game of a three-game set. Chicago home runs from Bellinger and Talkman were enough to put the Mets away as both teams get set for the series finale tonight at 7-10 p.m. But uh, David Peterson will take the hill. Again, Chicago's Kyle Hendricks and new news in the world of sports gambling to get to as well. ESPN has signed a licensing deal with Penn Entertainment to create ESPN Bet, a sportsbook for United States sports viewers. Penn will rebrand its current sportsbook to ESPN Bet later this fall in the 16 states where it is licensed. The rebranding will include a mobile app, website, mobile website, and mutually agreed upon retail locations. The deal is worth $1.5 billion in cash over 10 years. And preseason football to look forward to later on this week. Giants are in Detroit against the Lions on Friday night. And Saturday afternoon, you got the Jets and Panthers in Carolina to look forward to. Sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellick. Let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. Uh, somebody in Florida, by the way, has won the Mega Millions jackpot, that $1.5 billion jackpot. Don't know where in Florida yet, but uh, they matched all six numbers in last night's drawing. Back here in the city, New York City continuing to build emergency relief centers for the migrants that continue to be bussed in here from the U.S.-Mexico border. Five buses, we were told, were coming into the city to the Port Authority from the U.S.-Mexico border overnight adding to the 97,000, the number keeps going up, of migrants that have come here over the last year. The Randalls Island, that's the latest place where a tent city will go up. The mayor talking about that yesterday. When we built Randalls Island last year, we had 15,000 migrants, asylum seekers, 15,000. 
We're now at 97,000. So that 10 city will be all men. Uh, lots of people upset about the Randall's Island one because it'll be on some of the soccer fields there where kids play, adults play too. And so if he determines the space that he's using must be used, that's the space we're going to use because I, I trust him and I trust the team that they put together. Yeah, they have a crew looking for space. The state's going to pick up the tab for that one because it's on Randall's Island. 30% of the migrants that are coming in are children now, but the single men are, well, I guess potentially going to be in the worst spots. We don't know. Oh, I should point out these last night there was a protest uh, in uh, Queens. The one of the spots where migrants are uh, supposedly going to go is the Creedmoor old Creedmoor psychiatric facility right next door. They're going to set up an area for migrants. People in Queens last night, uh, a very vocal protest saying we want to know more about these migrants who are going to be placed in our neighborhood. And uh, we don't really want them there in the first place. We don't know who our kids are going to be surrounded. They can sit anywhere. Our kids aren't going to be protected. We have 1,000 to 3,000 unvetted individuals coming into our community from God only knows where. Those protesters asking lots of good questions. The governor and mayor continue to beg for federal aid as protesters show up in different spots where the migrants are going. This is in Queens, but uh, now migrants going out to Staten Island, too. I think city should do something about it, but not in the residential areas. And uh, some people showed up, by the way. There was a counter-protest to this Creedmoor protest of people who say they're okay with the migrants coming in, all 97,000 of them. It's very xenophobic, and it's very sorry to a community um, that really welcomes new people here. And there are new immigrants coming to New York City, and especially Queens, every day. And those buses, again, five of them rolling in in the hours overnight. Just shut up. I have to, you know, my job is to show both sides of the story. Just shut up. Let her take them home to her house. Maybe she will. I'll, I'm going to go track her down and see if she'll take a few. Yeah, why don't we house. do that? Find these people that right. are so irate that we're so insensitive and find out exactly what they're doing other than standing outside holding an epping sign. Well, it's a fair question. I'll of course it's a fair down. question. I'm a genius. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. Oh, that made a stretch your life. <laughs> Uh, out on the campaign trail, former President Trump campaigning in New Hampshire yesterday. A huge crowd uh, telling them that he needs one more indictment. He has three already and a fourth likely on the way. And he thinks that'll win him the White House 2024. He got indicted for nothing. Can you imagine a guy? Let's indict my opponent. This uh, this is a sick this is a third. This becomes a third world country. This massive crowd waiting for hours in the rain to hear Trump. One more indictment that I think this election's over. We're at 59 percent and the others are at like 12. One is at 12. I think that's the sanctimonious. Trump talking about his poll numbers there. He's also upset at Joe Biden. The president says that he's used the DOJ to weaponize it. Uh, the DOJ against uh, President Trump, the former president. They talked about it, but nobody ever did it, never to this extent, and ordered his top political opponent, me, arrested. Also in New Hampshire yesterday, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley calling for term limits and a competency test for elderly lawmakers. These are people making decisions on our national security. These are people making decisions about the future of our economy. We need to know they're at the top of their game. 
So she says there needs to be this mental competency test for politicians over the age of 75. So in that case, it would mean both Donald Trump and Joe Biden, the former South Carolina governor, taking a swipe at Biden, saying the tests would include simple questions like, how many grandkids do you have? Now, that's a reference, of course, to Biden's recent acknowledgement of his seventh grandchild through his son, Hunter, and well, that whole complicated situation. We have to have term limits in this country. We need mental competency tests for any one over the age of 75. These aren't complicated. It's say four words that start with the same letter. It's what town were you born? How many grandkids do you have? Okay. The uh, shakeup, meanwhile, continues inside the campaign of Republican presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis. The Florida governor is moving his chief of staff at the Capitol over to his campaign team, putting James Uffmeyer in charge. It's just the latest shakeup in the DeSantis campaign that recently slashed its staff in an effort to save money. Uffmeyer's predecessor will remain with the DeSantis campaign as a strategist. Poll numbers show DeSantis remains a persistent and distant second place to GOP frontrunner, former President Donald Trump. Rory O'Neill, Orlando. All right, let's bring it back into the city. A story we told you about earlier this week. Last Thursday, a group of teenagers attacked an Asian family on the subway. They were visiting here from Reno, Nevada. Now they've caught up with one of these teenagers, a 16-year-old. She's been arrested. And um, we reached out, and some so many networks have reached out to this family in Nevada. The woman's name is Sue Young. She was there with her twins on an F train in the village last Thursday, along with her husband, when these teenagers first started pointing and laughing at them and then got violent with them. I keep running through, oh, I should have done this, I should have done this, I, you know, X, Y, Z. It happens so fast. You just go into survival mode and you just want to protect, you know, yourself. You could have... Uh, attacked them. You did not. You defended yourself. I, I, I could have gotten up and attacked them. I, I didn't. Sue Young was punched. She still, uh, her hair was pulled. She still got the, the um, bruises to show what took place. The top officials at the MTA, by the way, and the governor, Jano Lieber, uh, Jano Lieber and Governor Hochul, commenting on this attack yesterday. I haven't seen the video, but I'll tell you this. There's no place for hate on our system. It's being investigated. This woman had no reason to be attacked whatsoever. There is no tolerance for this in the state of New York. And apparently there's everything to suggest that this was a hate crime, that they were attacked because they were Asian. But this woman, uh, Sue Young, she's very open-minded, much more open-minded than I would be. She says she would like to sit down with these teenagers. One's been busted already. It's only a matter of time till they catch up with the other two and talk to them about how you should behave in life. We, we don't know what battles other people have in their lives, but I can imagine they're probably not as privileged. And, and that has Probably a lot of, of lot to do with their outlook on the world and, 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 and the anger they may have. Yeah, my guess is that meeting will be set up. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.